The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, U.S. Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. And man, oh man, you know it's actually football season. It's Wednesday, September 8th, by the way. But it actually feels like football season when it's a Brady Quinn football show! What's up? Which, uh, not much, man. Not much. Just been traveling. Glad to be back on the show. I've missed you, Will. I've missed you dearly. Uh, due to COVID, we barely get to see each other in person anymore. So at least... Hopefully, I get my once a week, uh, my once a week podcast visit with you. Um, by the way, the origin of the air horns, yes, um, not not looking so hot there in college football. The uh, the hurricanes after the drumming they took from Alabama. So. It, the Bama thing is crazy. I mean, how many dudes can you send to the NFL and you just turn around? And you're like, surprise, we're great again. I, I just think the entire thing is. It, it almost like everything works hand in hand now. It's like, like it's a fine, well-oiled machine. Like, obviously they recruit well. I, I threw out the stat like throughout all our pre-game cover stuff. Nine of the past eleven years have had the number one recruiting class. They've never been worse than five in fourteen years, and then they had the best recruiting class ever last off season. So they've got depth. They've got talent. We know that they develop talent clearly. Uh, when you see how many guys they throw off in the NFL. I just think it's amazing that former NFL head coaches are willing to go to Bama, like not humble themselves and stay on the NFL level and call plays or no, go to college to be an OC in Bill O'Brien or an O-line coach in Doug Marone. Like they're and- willing to do that. Like think about that draw. Like instead of going to like Detroit or somewhere else, they go to Alabama and then they just literally – I almost – actually, I was thinking about this the other day. You know what they're doing, Will? You know how there's, like, sometimes a talk of, like, oh, the NFL's looking at all these college coaches. Like, Bill O'Brien's going down there, and he's going to take every defensive coordinator and be like, oh, you think this guy should be a head coach in the NFL? Uh, let me just go ahead and dissect you like yeah. I'm a surgeon every single week and show you how easy it is and what it's like at the next level. Like, I almost feel like they're trolling – all those people who are like big fans of hire the college coach, hire that hot college coach. Uh, you know, don't don't retread any of these these current NFL coaches. Like I almost think they're trolling a little bit doing that right now. Well, and not to mention, I, I heard this point. I think it was uh, Kirk Herbstreit made it on maybe Chris Long's pod, uh, the green light with Chris Long. But he, he said that, and you you might know this better than me if it's true, but that Bill O'Brien is not even changing the offense. He's just going to run. He's going to, you know, put his, yeah, put his imprint on it and put his fingerprints on it. But by and large, he's adjusting to the offense rather than making all these kids adjust to his offense, which is speaks to the like speaks to the cachet of the job that he's willing to. Because most guys would have too much ego to do that, right? But you also you also have to think about this: what's going to be your biggest adjustment? The coach adjusting or all the players? No, it makes total sense. I'm, just, I'm just saying that it's but, not. I don't think it's that big of an adjustment for him either. You have to remember, go back to 2017. 
Uh, Brian Dable stepped in. He was running New England system then, which obviously Bill O'Brien comes from that New England system. Yep. And one of the things that's kind of interesting is before Bill O'Brien even got there, Bill O'Brien, after being a year in New England, and then before taking, uh, you know, before being head coach at Penn State and all that stuff, he had gone down and consulted with Nick Saban about a lot of the hurry-up stuff they were doing in New England. So a lot of the foundation of what they transitioned to into more spread style of offensive play really came from Bill O'Brien back when he was at in New England, Penn State, you know, all that stuff, all those years. It really kind of started then. So he's got his fingerprints on what's already been going on. And I think Brian Dable coming in, calling plays, I know he was running the same system. So I don't know that the verbiage is really that different. You know Nick Saban's close with Bill Belichick. So, again, I I think this offense could have remained the same for a long period of time. And so it's probably not as big of an adjustment for Bill Belichick as people think. Yeah, that's a a great point. Or excuse me, for Bill O'Brien as people think. Um, That's a great point. That's why we have you on here. You make great points. College football, fun. First weekend. Uh, We do need to talk NFL, though. Buccaneers and Cowboys is uh, kicking off tomorrow night. And man, I mean, like it, it, I am curious, did, as a former NFL player who did, did the, and and now broadcaster and guy analyst, did the, did the schedule throw you off at all? The new schedule with like the preseason changes? Cause it really kind of messed with my inner clock, which is, you know, not that I'm some anal retentive time guy, but (laughs) but just like this, like the rhythms that I'm used to, like threw me off for some reason. No, it didn't throw me off. Um, I actually think players, and I know front office executives liked it. I saw a bunch over the course of our trips to Minneapolis and Wisconsin this past week. Um, that that Thursday night game between Ohio State and Minnesota, I saw, gosh, probably 12 teams, you know, high-level scouts, front office executives. John Lynch basically followed us around um, yeah. with our crew and Adam Peters, his top scout. Rick Spielman was clearly there in Minnesota. It's not a, not a trip for him. Uh, the Giants had representation there as well. There's a number of teams. So um, I actually think they like it because sure. they go through their wave of cuts, and then those guys can start hitting the road, and, and they can be there to watch some of next year's prospects. So I think it's always helpful from that standpoint. Uh, I saw a bunch of players coming back from the Miami-Alabama game because I live in South Florida. So I sat right in front of Jalen Phillips on the play coming back. So I think oh, wow. a lot of the, yeah, I think a lot of those guys were excited about the opportunities to be able to go back and be a part of their alma mater and go see a game. I, I know there's concerns from coaches about them potentially bringing COVID back, but you know, the reality is uh, it, it's probably nice for the players to get that break. Uh, and I think, look, for for college football, I think it was great. You know, I think if you look at that standalone windows that they got, the yes. ratings for their game, the ratings for the Ohio State Minnesota game, like it showed out in a big way. So I think it was kind of good all the way around. I think it worked for college. I think it worked for the NFL level. And I think it's it's something that um, I think the only thing that messed me up about it was you saw so many teams end up playing their starters in the third preseason game, which I thought was interesting because that usually would have been the case previously. But I really thought like the second might be the one they amp up, ramp up for. But because the calendar stayed the same with it, they just kept it the same. And now they get two weeks to prepare for that next, that first opponent. Some teams treat it like week three. Some teams treat it like week four. Uh, the Buccaneers are the defending Super Bowl champions. Of course, they have Tom Brady. They return all 22 starters. I don't know if you've heard uh, about those things, if that's been mentioned at all uh, this season. How, how do you, uh, how, obviously I'm being sarcastic, how do you look at Tampa as a, and their opportunity to repeat in, 
pretty heavy favorite, minus 200 at, at Caesars right now to be the, the favorite to win that division. Uh, do you think the hype that Tampa's getting is a team that was a wild card that won the Super Bowl? And, you know, is it justified given their offseason? Yeah, I think there's two things at play. You know, if you're a buyer and believer in the Tampa Bay Bucks and how last year's offseason was impacted by COVID and that Tom Brady is going to be able to start off faster and better because of the offseason he's had, a second year in the offense and all of that, chemistry with, with everybody he's throwing to, um, sure, then, then, then you should be buying into the Tampa Bay Bucks, winning the NFC South rather easily and probably being one of the top seeds, if not the top seed in yep. the NFC playoff picture, which gives them the best track to go win a Super Bowl. I just think the interesting thing is we tend to be really comfortable when we're familiar with like the roster and oh they run it back, sign everyone back. But I always wonder, like, is that the best thing? Like they I'm not I mean, look, every team that wins a championship, I think in ways gets lucky. There's things that happen their way and the ball bounces their way. I, I just wonder if signing everyone back was the right play. It is an older roster. Um you know, there might be some things that they're kind of blinded to because they're like, well, hey, this worked last year, so let's just sign everyone back because it'll work again this year. I mean, I don't know that that's always the case. I mean, this would be the first team to win back-to-back Super Bowl since, what, 2004? The New England yep. Patriots? Um, and, and so, look, you could make the case that, like, John Elway came back. I mean, I, I remember having a conversation with him about it, and I always wondered why he came back after winning one, given his age. And he's like, I knew we were going to win, too. Mm. So... You know, Tom Brady must feel very similar, um, especially looking at the rest of the division and probably the, the NFC you know, picture. So, I, you know, I think I'm a buyer in them being one of the best teams in the NFC. I'm still curious, though, to see what this season looks like for Tom Brady, but for um, their offense, too. Like, if they can carry on from what they did yeah. after that loss to the Saints or if they're going to start to, like, hit a road or he's going to start to hit a little bit of a wall. No, I, I agree because my theory going into the postseason was that they racked up a bunch of stats late in the season against bad defenses and had struggled against good defenses. And then, you know, we're going to have to face those in the, in the playoffs. And as it turns out, I mean, the defense just elevated itself down the stretch and Brady did exactly what he needed to do in certain spots. So I think, I, I, I think you're right. I think the hype is, the hype is probably warranted, but at the same time, you know, there definitely are questions and concerns that you can have about the Buccaneers and, and whether it'll be good enough for me that the hype, I don't know that the, the hype is justified on the Cowboys though. They're the favorites to win the division. And I, I don't, I, I think Washington's a better roster and a better team. And I, I love Dak Prescott. I think the Cowboys would be good, but I'm just, I'm just I, not. There, I, can't, I can't agree with you on that. I mean, okay. I think you could, you could make the case. The Eagles and Cowboys both have better rosters. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I mean, I think the front seven for Washington's fantastic. They are. Their defense in general is pretty salty. Um, McLaurin's solid. I don't know really – like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you can you can buy into Logan Thomas, you know, but I think he's he's a good tight end. I, I don't know where you'd put him and rank him in the NFC. Um, he was productive last year. But I just – I kind of look at him and say, okay, we know we're getting defensively. I, I'm still not sure what to expect with Ryan Fitzpatrick, especially okay. being the guy – I mean, could you right, not well, see him getting me, hurt? Me, could you not see the, him playing poorly? Talk me to the Cowboys being good. Tell, tell me why the well, Cowboys. I mean, tell me why the Cowboys are good, Brady. <laughs> That's why Charlie. Dane it, 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 it's hard not to look at what they have a wide receiver sure. and not think that they've got the best wide receiver group in the NFC. I think Dak, based on the pace he was on, 
was on a ridiculous pace. You know they're going to be able to throw the football. Zach Martin out in this game it hurts. We can talk about that. But I just think as long as he, they protect him, they can run the ball a little bit too, you know the offense is going to be there. It's just a matter of like what Dan Quinn can do to improve this defense. I think they've made some good decisions. Like Micah Parsons is going to be a freak. He's versatile. He's athletic. Like he's going to improve that group. So I just think all the way around, I, I, I think Dan Quinn's a better fit for the personnel scheme of what they're going to do than what we saw last year with Mike Nolan, which didn't work out. So I, I just, to me, it's not even like a, it's not biased or anything. I just, I believe this team is in a better position from a roster standpoint, talent to be able to win that division. Um, and I would put Philly in there as like, if you're looking at their defense, if you're looking at their weapons too, and wide receiver, uh, even their O-line, like I might even put them ahead of them. I just, I think Jalen Hurts could be a big question mark with what that group looks like. Or or Gardner Minshew if he gets a shot, right? <laughs> I know that we're previewing the, the the week one opener, but I am curious. And, and I don't, are you are you doing this Eagles thing because you desperately want to be on the podcast every week and you're sucking up to Debo? Or is this like something you really believe that the Eagles, the Eagles, because people are pretty down on the Eagles. To, to, no, no, I... I think what we should do, honestly, we should have a conversation about it, like all the teams that no one has any expectations for, like Houston, the New York Jets, the Eagles, um, who else? We, the, the Cincinnati Bengals. We should pick like which one of those teams is going to exceed expectations because there's going to be one of them. Like one of them sure. is going to do that. I, I just think Hurts, and even I'll just say the Eagles in general, they have the potential to do so in part because of his athleticism, his ability to run. And I think their defense is good enough. They're like, they've got a shot to surprise some people because their roster is good too. And even if Hurts gets hurt, like Minshew's experienced. Like he's in a much better spot than he was in Jacksonville. Like I, I know there's not a – obviously Jacksonville wasn't a believer. You know, you ask Pete Prisco, he literally proverbially takes a dump on the guy every time. But statistically speaking, he was good on a bad football team. So you put him in this situation, I actually think he'd be okay. So – um, that's like one of those teams that I think could surprise people. And I'm not saying, you know, have even a winning record. I'm just thinking if they're over under set of what, five and a half right now, maybe they win six or seven games. And you take that over. Mm, okay. All right. So with Dallas and this game specifically, I have a hard time getting to, I, I think, I think the Buccaneers are going to blow them out. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I do too. Okay. I, I do too. And Zach, and I, Martin, I think, I think look, the, yeah, him not being there, it does a number of things, right? So everyone talks about matchups. Who has to look at matchups and fantasy and really wide receiver, defensive back, all that crap. When you're game planning, you're looking at matchups on the offensive line, D-line too. So not having Zach Martin hurts in a huge way because what is, it, what is he, a six-time All-Pro, whatever he is? He's probably the um, second most important player on Dallas's roster. Maybe you could say Tyrus right. over Zach Martin, but I would, I would go Martin personally. Sure. So, and, and, and look, whatever you go doesn't matter. The point is – He's incredibly important to the interior of that pocket for a quarterback that's coming back from a lower leg injury that also has been dealing with a bad shoulder. So not only do you not want Dak running around, you don't want him getting hit and dropped in that shoulder too. And I know McGovern's playing and he's coming in to replace him, but there's a drop-off in what you're going to get there. So yeah. it changes – if I'm Todd Bowles, it changes how I'm going to look at this because if, if I'm Dallas, I'm going to try to slide my protection – to McGovern to give him help, like every every chance I get, I'm trying to give him a hand, give him some help. But how do you eliminate that? Well, you you play more bare fronts, meaning you're going to put a guy over the center and over both guards to force a lot of those one on one matchups, or you at least put a guy over the center guard tackle on that side, and that really forces to have that one on one matchup. So 
do, that do, puts do you think the Buccaneers have a guy on the interior that could potentially cause wreck havoc and cause problems like that? I don't know. I mean, Indominus <laughs> Sue seems to be pretty good. Kind of and Vita Vea, man. Like those two Vita dudes. Vita is massive. Yeah. Um, so, but it, and, and all it takes too is like a linebacker mugging up, right? It doesn't even necessarily have to be a defensive lineman. Unfortunately, it, it could be a linebacker. The Buccaneers don't really have any fast like linebackers. Athletic you linebackers. Know, you get the faster. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a, yeah. a, a on Dak too, real quick. And I mean, I, I think it's a great point, but on on Dak, because you dealt with uh, foot injuries or low, you know lower leg injuries yeah. in in your career. I so, and I'm I am not a professional football player, as, as we all know, but I, I'm wondering. How much of the shoulder fatigue is maybe overcompensation mechanic-wise from dealing with that lower body injury and, and maybe forcing, you know, not want to step into it, forcing it, throwing more with your arm, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, not to get into a really dorky conversation, but it probably – it's not overcompensating. It's just his biomechanics has most likely changed. He was probably pushing to get back sooner yes. than he should have. And because of that, like your body naturally reacts to pain where whether or not, you know, when you ever like ever feel like you're walking after you hear something, someone's like, oh, you got to limp. Like they notice you limping, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of times that happens with your throwing motion without you being cognizant of it. But when you watch mm. it on film or you have a coach watch you, you know, you're not transferring your weight the same from one exactly. leg to the other. Like to this day with my, my left foot that I Liz Frank on and I'm a right-handed quarterback. So when I go to push off that right leg to generate all that power, and now I'm going to violently torque my hips and then release the football, all that weight transfers my left foot. Well, if it hurts to put weight on there, I'm not going to transfer the way I'm supposed to. It, it's impacted my golf game. It impacted my throwing motion, like everything. Like even golf game today, like it's bad, bad mechanics and transfer because of that. So um, it, like that's something that no doubt in my mind played a factor in throughout camp him probably not, you know, transferring quite as much and using his lower body and using that torque in his hips up to his arm, releasing it as much as he probably should have. So um, that, that plays a role in it. I think uh, I also think you tend to, in order to get confident in your body and how it's going to respond, you tend to do more and maybe a little bit too much. So yeah. he might've actually ended up throwing more this off season than he would have done normally if he was healthy because he wanted to ensure he feels confident and comfortable with, with how everything's reacting right now. And for the record, that's not a dorky conversation. That's an important cover. Like, I mean, that, that's an important conversation that it's a very reasonable explanation for why Dak Prescott might be having shoulder fatigue on, on a guy who's young, strong in shape, but you know, right. dealing with this lower body injury. P people tend to not realize like all your power comes from your feet like it, it literally comes from your feet it goes up through your midsection and through your hand when you release the football it's called ground ground force production and, and a lot of it in his motion is going to be pushing off that right foot and then transferring to the left but you're going to have both feet on the ground as you're creating that torque from your legs through your hips through your your you know thoracic spine and all that and then spitting to release the football so if there's any breakdown in that kinetic chain it's going to put torque somewhere. And so it usually ends up being your shoulder. For some guys, it's their elbow. Uh, but that's that, that's what is what I assume to be the issue that he's feeling in his shoulder. Um, okay, moving on to a different quarterback in the NFC, but certainly one of just as equal important, uh, or import, I suppose. Aaron Rodgers, reigning MVP. 
as we all know, the offseason was insane. We, you and I talked about this early on. Were you surprised at the outcome? And do you think this is a last dance situation with Rodgers and Devontae Adams as, uh, as Jordan and Pippen? Um, do you think of winning – like, I, I don't know. Just, I'm curious your general thoughts on how Rodgers and the, and the Packers approach this season and, and what the future holds. I uh, I think this is going to be his last season. I don't know if you want to tag it as a last dance or whatever, but I think that's why they renegotiated the contract to take off a year. So he had one year left and he could then renegotiate with that new team wherever he ends up going after the season. Right Now, what surprised me was the fact that he said it was 50-50 on whether or not he was going to come back and play. That was the surprising part only because I, I thought for sure he'd want to come back. It just depended upon where that would be. Now, I think my my understanding is there was something set up with San Francisco. And had that worked out and that happened, you know, that would have would have changed obviously how the draft would have went. It would have changed a lot of things. But it ended up not and, taking and just place. to clarify, you mean that something was set up with San Francisco prior to them making the move up for to number three to grab Trey Lance. Correct. I mean, potentially even after, you know, where a lot of people feel like that was the intent of why they're moving up is then to maybe make it for a guy that Green Bay likes. You know, not that oh. they don't like Jordan Love, even though he looked good, but, you know, maybe another player or use that as draft capital, whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, that was my understanding of that before they traded up, there was a thought that that was a good destination for him. Uh, now, that's all hindsight and it doesn't really matter. Uh, but the reality is, I think he restructured his contract in order to give himself the control and ability to move on after the season. But I just think it was more of the thought that he might not even come back in general, uh, which was a bit surprising. The way he handled the press conference, being very open and honest, that was interesting. Like, I, I didn't think he was going to go that route with it because it, it almost makes you think like, yeah, they don't want this around for too much longer. Like, because hmm. you don't know what's going to happen after they hit adversity, after they have like a you know bad game here, there. Is he going to say something about LaFleur? Is he going to say something about, you know, what happened with, I, I don't know. There's a lot of different is it, ways. Is it like a, is it a weekly blowtorch back the bus over Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy media? It's like, well, you know, if yeah. they drafted a wide receiver instead of this guy, I wouldn't be sitting here asking who where my pass catcher's at. Yeah, I mean, I, so there's that. And I don't think Brian Gutekunst is the issue. I, I think it really has been all along Mark Murphy. Agreed. Um, and and I think it's interesting that he brings that up only because, you know, Mark Murphy, you know, you look at these other owners, right? Like, you know, Mark Davis, who's supposedly building a house that re replicates the new stadium there, Allegiant Stadium there in Las Vegas. He's going to build a house that looks like that. Or any other NFL owner, they tend to actually receive criticism when things don't go well. And Mark Murphy flies under the radar because it's not his team. He's the president. There's a bunch of shareholders, but he's the president and he acts as the owner. Yes. And so at some point, you know, and I think after Ted Thompson left, you know, he's probably taken an even more active role in <laughs> how things have operated on a football standpoint. I think that's bothered uh, Aaron Rodgers. And I think he wanted to try to, you know, make that case and kind of out it, if you will. And I think he's done that. Well, yeah. Mark Murphy instituted his silos concept, which is you have a cap guy, um, a personnel guy in Gutekunst and then the coach, all who report to Mark Murphy. So it's a very exactly. non-traditional football setup. And 
you know, we could say Ted Thompson retired all we want. He didn't retire. You know, he retired like Bruce Arians retired from the Steelers. He got run off by Mark Murphy, who wanted to set up these silos. And, and you know, Mark Murphy's only – who does he answer to? Maud from Wisconsin. Like, that's it. You know, like, like I got a dollar. Yeah, he's got a shareholders meeting, right? And it's yeah. like nowadays, they're not – like half the time, not even done in person, right? It's just over right. a conference call, everything else. I mean, it, I, I just, you know, and it's the Green Bay Packers. So, like, what are these people? Like, I'm gonna sell my, I'm gonna sell my shares of Green Bay Packers. Yeah, it's like having like one share of Apple and showing up and be like, I demand the i the iPhone have a headphone jack again. They're like, who are you? What do you want? Get out of here! Like, come on, man. Yeah. Okay, do you know how much that would cost uh, our, our, our research <laughs> yeah. design and, and production? But that's what you want. So we're going to satisfy that one show. No, but so you can kind of get the point. But uh, I think that's what he wanted to do before he left, before this year. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the season goes. It really will. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I mean, it'll be, it'll be something to watch now. Of course, if they get off to a hot start and play well, it won't be uh, an issue at all. And people just sort of go on and, and worry about it next off season. Uh, somebody who, who, who might not get off to a hot start, who could be in hot water early on. Oh, a new coach on a questionable team. Let's tell you after the break, the all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Urban Meyer is in Jacksonville. And, you know, full disclosure, your former colleague over there at uh, Fox Sports on the pregame show, I mean, but, you know, you, you've known Ur- you know Urban pretty well. Uh, how would you grade, if you feel comfortable grading him, his, uh, his offseason and preseason and sort of how things have gone leading into, into the year? Well, I'd say this much. I think they've improved the roster. You can so say improved. No, they've improved. They, they've improved the roster. Um, they did that through the draft. They did that via, I think, the um, you know free agency. So that was the first step in doing things. You know, the preseason is hard to judge, um, in part because like you only have three games. A lot of here's the misconception too: is a lot of people are like, "Oh, Urban's offense blended with Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer." Like, okay. it's not his offense. It's it's Daryl Bevel's and Brian Schottenheimer's. Like, that's the offense running. 
it's not a college offense. Um, you know, so so like there's a misconception with all that. Obviously, okay, you know, let me, let me let me I want to rephrase this question. Here's how I want to ask it. I'm Pete Prisco. I want to text this hypothetical text thread with you. I'm lighting Urban Meyer up. What is your reply? My reply is like he's he's saying that because he's emotional because Urban probably didn't talk to him when he went and visited with him. So like that's that that's I, I, I'm just saying like that's that's probably why he's reacting that way. You know, I think if you had a, a measured approach, you really can't have an opinion on what's happened so far because nothing's happened. I mean, they look great in the third preseason game, which if that's the one that you play your starters, you want them to go out and look their best, how'd that work out? They look great. So I'm not really sure, like, what to make of any anything that's happened so far. I think you need to get in the season, you know, w- let them play four, five, six games and see how things go. You know, it, that's the hard thing about, you know, trying to make any sort of prediction. I'll say this much. That division's a mess. I mean, the Colts have, between the rash of injuries and everything else going on, I'll be curious to see how Wentz is with, with Indianapolis. Houston's Houston. Terod Taylor's now the starter. So who knows what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. I think that's a rebuild situation. So then you got the Titans, who I think can potentially run away with the division. But it looks like second place is open, in my opinion. So um, like knowing, knowing Coach Meyer, knowing the coaches that are on that staff, uh, some of the players that are on that staff, I think they'll be more competitive than people give them credit, you know? Okay. And, and I, and I, I, and I do think we, we tend to forget they were the wor- they won one game last season. They won this one been terrible game. for years, for right. years, you know? So five games is a dramatic improvement from what they were a year ago. Like it might right. not exceed his expectations or whatever the perception is out there, but that's the hard thing is it's hard to give a grade on anything when you're like, well, Look, they lost their other first round pick due to injury. Like, how can you? What I mean, what, what are you going to do with that? You know, I mean, you can't give him a bad grade because the guy gets hurt. It's one of those freaky things that happens. I also think, and I'm I'm guilty of this. And I mean, you know, like Urban, like I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge Urban guy, and that's whatever. It is what it is. Um, but I think we're all a little guilty of when there's a college coach comes to the NFL, whether it's Chip Kelly or you know Jim Harbaugh, Nick Saban. When they come, if NFL people are looking to pounce and looking to yeah, but but that's because and it, you're talking about NFL media, and NFL no. media gets scared of that because they don't have the ends with that coach. They're not going to be the person that they leak stuff to. They have no relationship with, and so it's personal, and they get emotional, and then they write with a little bit of a twinge on it. It's no different than than you know the political realm where if they don't have an end with a candidate they immediately start to bash them and not like them. Like this world, this media hates anything that they do, they're they not comfortable with. They can't get access to. That's the truth. That's the God's honest truth. So um, it, it's, again, it, we'll wait and see once they start playing games, what it looks like, how Trevor Lawrence looks, if he can stay healthy, all those things. But again, the, the reality is they haven't done anything right now that makes me think they're going to be a Super Bowl winning team. No. But I also don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league either. Uh, I would agree with that. And I think Trevor Lawrence and some of those players on Jacksonville, like Trevor Lawrence is going to be good. I, I don't believe that Brian Schottenheimer, Daryl Bevel, who are, you know, criticized offensive coordinators because they, they, people just don't like their, their schemes. You know, it's not wide open enough. And, and Urban Meyer, who, whatever you think about him and whatever you think will happen with Jacksonville's uh, future is a good football coach. You know what I mean? Like he just, yeah. he just, he just is a good football coach. And so I would be very surprised if Trevor, like, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is in a position where he's going to fail barring injury. I just, I don't, I think Trevor Lawrence's no, talent I, is too good. 
you need to give it time. Like that's the biggest thing too. I think sure. we need to be patient. We don't need to be looking for him to light the world on fire and 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 be Patrick Mahomes in his first year, or even what Justin Herbert did last year. Justin Herbert lucked out with a, a great situation. That's a good football team. He he got to play. You know, got the got drafted to. And he only play played for. because they actually stabbed Tyrod Taylor in the wrong spot before a game. And, and Patrick right. Mahomes, to your point, didn't play in his rookie year. Right. So I mean, again, people have to take it with a grain of salt. I think we tend to overreact. The biggest adjustment that they're going to have to make is, and one of the advantages you have in college is obviously, it's not so, so much schematic, it's talent. So if you can win the recruiting battle, you've already got a leg ahead of your opponent. And then it just comes down to essentially execution and putting those guys in a position to win. In the NFL level, you've got to be able to have not only the talent, it's somewhat equated. If you don't, that's a problem. And I think one of the things that became a little bit apparent, now granted DJ Chark wasn't out there quite as much, but is if you can't separate, if you don't have speed, I don't think they have much speed. And so that's a problem. And so one of the things the preseason you can't afford to do is if you don't have speed, you can't show all the stuff that you're going to game plan and do what you get in the season. That's all those bunches, all those formations, all that, all the different uh, personnel groupings you're going to utilize to try to get guys open and scheme things up. You can't afford to show that in the preseason. If you feel like you lack some of the type of explosiveness or speed that you're accustomed to, at least at at the college level. No, that that's a great point. I mean, if you're there is no reason for the Jaguars to go out there uh, you know, leading into this season and to just show everybody what they want to do with their offense. That's not that doesn't benefit them in any shape, form, or fashion, really. No, I mean that's why again, just going back to your initial question, like, how do you grade them? I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you grade anyone. Like we, some teams didn't even play any of their starters in this in this offseason. The preseason. Right. Chargers so preseason. How do you how do you grade that? Right? Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you grade that? Like what, what do you, what do you put incomplete? You know. Well, that's Not why. Applicable? Changed, like what do you do? That's why I changed the question to let you bash Frisco yeah. instead because that's much more fun. I bash them. I'm just saying, like it, it gets personal. Like that's what that's what reporters are. Like I, I remember with beat reporters, as long as you treated them kind. Like they're still gonna bash you if you don't play well, but it's not gonna look and feel the same, or it's gonna be written different. Like there was plenty of people who who I remember that were like that, and there was those that like. I mean, let's be honest. Tony Grossi and Baker Mayfield they had a beef, yeah. And you better believe that Tony Grossi probably had a little bit more of of a sting to things they wrote when things weren't going well in Cleveland. So, so I mean, same thing with like, Colin, st- Colin Coward and Baker had that beef, and you know if Baker would have a bad game, it was just Colin's he jumped right on, hurt. yeah. Yeah, we're humans. That's how we react. So I, I just I tend to be a little bit more measured with things. I realize people have a job to do, uh, but I just tend not to overreact. That's that's very that's very smart of you, uh, Trevor Lawrence. As we mentioned, he is the odds-on favorite to be offensive rookie of the year. The five quarterbacks lead the field in terms of their odds over at Caesars. Trevor Lawrence plus. Three, three and a half to one. Mac Jones, four and a half to one. That jumped up. Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance, all seven to one. I'm, I'm curious, of these, who do you think has the best season and why? And I, I realize that it is difficult to sort of encapsulate best season. Like Trevor Lawrence right. could have. No, statistically. Yeah. Statistically. I, I think Mac Jones, honestly, is, is in the best position right now. So – if you could have gotten those odds, like if you're a Patriots fan and you're like, oh, I'm just take a flyer on Mac Jones being offensive rookie of the year, he'll play eventually. You went out big because now at at four and a half to one, you're going, all right, still worth the value. But I think he's in the best situation to succeed. Um, now, 
you know, him, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, we know those guys are going to play. You can kind of eliminate Trey Lance. I just – I don't think Garoppolo's going to get hurt early enough where he's going to play well. You play sure. enough. And I also think it's going to be difficult for him. I mean, he, he looked like he really needs some time to sit, watch, and, and develop. So I would throw him to the category. The interesting one is Fields. Because I think right now, if you want value, you go with Justin Fields. Because I, I truly do believe he played well enough, and they need him bad enough with the way that offensive line looks that he might be there in the second half of the first game. So if, if – if, like, it could be that bad. And if that's the case, they need someone who's got more mobility, who can run the football like Justin, and it makes sense to start him sooner rather than later. And you've also got to coach on the hot seat. So he might be more apt to want to do that just to appease the fan base. Sure. Just, I mean, pull trigger on it because you desperately need to, to make something happen. And as you point out with that offensive line, I mean, dude, like it is, it's totally possible that that offensive line is so bad that they just have to have somebody with some mobility in there. Yeah. It, it changes what defenses can do. You know, if Justin Fields enters the game, you're probably not going to play much man to man. Because you're worried that even on a pass play, once everyone turns their backs to go cover, if he gets out of the pocket, he's utilizing that speed for a big game. So you really have to trust your rush to be able to keep him in the pocket. So you're basically watching him play against zone. If you're playing against zone, that makes it a lot easier to scheme up against because now you're looking at just saying, okay, what zone are they playing? Which side of the field is he working to? If it's post-tie, we're working this way. If it's split safety, we're working that way. So you have your separate progressions for that. So it just simplifies some things that they can do. And also it slows down the rush. You know, the, some of the biggest plays you saw from Fields in the preseason was him scrambling around and making a play. So if that's the case, guys aren't going to be rushing up field quite as much. They're trying to get more push in the pocket, collapse around him, but it's more of a controlled rush. So all those things lend to um, not only the pass protection being better, simplifying what you're going to see and making it easier to scheme up, but then you also have to account for him in the running game. And so let's say, for example, you're, you typically see post safety and you're saying, oh, they're loading the box to stop the run. Well, if your quarterback's a part of that rushing attack, it's even numbers. Like I look at that and I say, oh, they have to account for me. So we're still up a man. Like if you actually count the numbers and who the offensive line are responsible for and then the running back and quarterback included, you're still plus one. So they basically have to play zero coverage in order to make it even numbers across the board. And that's why, again, it kind of simplifies things that puts a lot of pressure on the defense. I agree. I, I, and the idea is like, no, we can't play him against Aaron, Aaron Donald. I mean, he's going to have to play against NFL players at some point. Like, well, look at that. No, go through their schedule. Tell me who they play the first five weeks. And, and I, like, I realize Aaron Donald's the best defense player in the league. We can give him Ingles, that word every Ingles single week, year. Ingles week two, maybe, would be the, the answer there. Sure, sure. But I'm just saying, like, look at their first five games. You're telling me there's not good defenders on all those teams? There's not good guys up front? He's not a rookie and that they're not going to try to pressure him on third and eight plus every single time or or a two-minute drive at the end of the game? I mean, he's a rookie. Like, they're going to come after him. They're going to test him, especially after what we saw uh, versus the Buffalo Bills. Like, I don't know if that was more on the offensive line for not changing the protection to the five most dangerous men. Or if that's on him for not realizing, because his back was free releasing, so he was going to have to throw hot. So either he didn't redirect the line, the line didn't redirect. Either way, when he got decapitated, that's the kind of stuff you watch and go, okay, like that, that's a troubling thing to see him not recognize at this point. It was more troubling when they did it two more times in the game. 
and he just got the ball out quick. He They never picked it up. The O-line didn't. The running back didn't. He didn't see it. I mean, <laughs> like, no matter – like, the two more times, one of those times was the exact same books. They still didn't get it. And the second time, it was more of an edge pressure, different look. He still didn't see it. So, I, I look at it and go, I can't wait if I'm a defensive coordinator to play the Bears, and hopefully Fields is starting at that point. Absolutely. At least from a pressure standpoint. Now, not obviously if when he's in there, when he's going to be able to take off and run the football. Right. Uh, Max Jones, who you mentioned, I think is fascinating. I got him at like 10 to 1 when the news nice. broke. Nice. Nice. Look at you. Maybe it's like 8 to 1. Which is weird. Which is weird because you used to be a big Cam Newton fan. So, like, the, 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 like the nail wasn't even in the coffin, and you were already, like, running to the window to, like, lay your bet. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You better believe, like, you know, Kirk Cousins. There's just no team. loyalty. There's no loyalty with one. No loyalty. Brady, well, I'm a little, like, you know, a little to my that's, friend. That's, that's the next, uh, that's your next IPA. The next IPA you're pumping is going to be that. <laughs> I do, but I do, I do think when I look at this Patriots team and Mac Jones, I see, in my opinion, that Bill Belichick wants to throw it back to 2001, to two, 2001, 2004 in that range. And they won three Super Bowls with defense, running the football, and Tom Brady, who was not Tom Brady at the time, he, he became a clutch game manager of sorts. Like I, I don't, I'm not disparaging him. He's just a young quarterback and Belichick tried to make it easy for him. And Brady stepped up and made huge plays in big spots. And I sort of think he wants Mac Jones to be that same guy. Does that make, does that seem like a fair assessment? It's a fair assessment. It makes sense. He's got a different play caller though. So True. Charlie Weiss would have said screens, max play action shots. Don't ask him to do too much. And, and they had a great defense back then. Yes. Their defense should be good. I don't think it's as good as those defenses were. So if that's the case, he's going to have to do a little more. I mean, they're going to have to be able to run the football. You're going to see the screen game, wide receiver, running backs included, obviously tight ends as well. Um, I just think you're going to see him spread it out more. I mean, I think he feels comfortable and confident in it. That's something that Josh McDaniels loves to do because it gives you answers. Like when you go five wide and you displace a running back or tight end, you're immediately telling the quarterback, is it man or zone? And if, if I know it's man, it's the easiest thing in the world. Because whether I keep my running back out there or I bring him back in the backfield, once I know it's man, I just go, where's my matchup? Yeah. Like, where's my matchup? And then what's the leverage and, 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 and what routes they're running? But who am the guy I'm, I'm, I'm going right, to? Like, for instance, week one, like, where's Xavier Howard? Where's Byron Jones? Do I have a guy yeah. lined up against a linebacker in the slot? Except, I mean, you know, like you're – Well, so, so, so that's, where, that's where, like, if it's zone – that's when you go, okay, I know my cornerbacks are outside. Yep. So now I know my better matchup is probably on the inside, either on a safety linebacker, and you're going to utilize that part of the play or that part of the concept. So those empty formations, even though people are like, well, it's scary. You only got five guys blocking them. Well, the ball's going to come out quick, and yeah. it actually helps you know where you're going faster. And if that's the case, then maybe it's not as scary as you think. Uh, if you've got a player who's able to do that, I think Mac Jones is smart. I think he understands the offense and knows how to do that. If you had a guy who was having trouble diagnosing defenses and and sort of didn't have the the ability to throw with anticipation, and you go five wide and they're blitzing guys off the edge, no, you're, you know, I mean, you're dead. You're dead man walking. Well, the, the hard the the hardest thing about five wide is you know understanding like who are your most dangerous five. So with your protection, and that could be, you know, if you've got like three on one side and then two on the other, it's determining, okay, I'm going to slide for usually the four down and then whoever that weak side linebacker is. Now, I feel like he's playing that slot on that two man side. Now I'm saying I'm going to bring that, that ID back in the, in the box. And I'm going to say these five are the most dangerous. Now, if anyone comes outside of it, right. 
and you're going to notice that based on safety rotation. That's that's where your key, where those guys have to break off the route, and they've got to be good too. So the one thing about empty is it does put more pressure on whoever the receivers are who are in those slot positions. If they have a hot, they have to be cognizant of who the identification is, who, meaning the who's the four down and the Mike linebacker, who the line's blocking, yep. and then what how they break off the route and what they do. And that's the, that's the most important thing um, when you're in empty is those guys can't hang out their rookie quarterback to try. Right. And you would think that the players that the Patriots bring in will be viable enough to know not to do that. That'll be a pretty important part of, of yep. playing for Bill Belichick. Um, okay, any other uh, rookie quarterback thoughts before we before we uh, get out of here? I don't think so. I mean, I, I just I think this is a good class, good group. I just think people get so antsy that these guys that aren't playing and and um, situation circumstance. I always say this: it, it's so it's paramount to any player's success, quarterback yes. or not. And we we tend to like look at all oh, patch moments, look how great he is. We're like, well, look who he's playing for. <laughs> he's playing for Andy Reid. He's got Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Like he's got all these things that like he was drafted into, and he got to watch how a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback was doing it before. Yeah. So he 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 literally like doesn't have to figure it out. Like one of the hardest things that people talk about us all the time is like understanding how to be a pro. Like how to be a pro is like really the definition of that is just figuring out your process of preparation. Like, how do I go about preparing each day of the week situationally and then all together and, and then getting myself to a point where I feel confident I'm going to go in there and execute. And it helps to be able to have a guy who's done it at a successful for a long period of time before you show you how to do that. Like it's human nature. A like, willing, a willing engaging when, mentor. Yeah. Like, like if you were sitting next to Elon Musk and you've got to take, you know, a <laughs> test in mathematics, it'd be helpful to go, oh, I'm going to look at his paper for a little bit, right? Like Pete yeah. Prisco, that's how he got through college. He would have graduated if he didn't look off everyone else's oh! I mean, let's just call it how it is. So <laughs> that that's essentially what sitting your first year allows you to do when you've got a guy who's preparing and, and, and playing like that. And that's um, that's what's tough for Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence and probably Justin Fields at some point and Mac Jones. Yeah, but there's nobody there to – not to hold their hand, but I mean, to your point, you know, Patrick Mahomes gets drafted by the, by the bears second overall. Yeah. He, I don't, I believe in Patrick Mahomes talent overcoming a lot of things. I don't think Patrick Mahomes throws 50 passing touchdowns and 5,000 yards in the second season. <laughs> well, no. And, and by the way, like I'm not saying the offensive line for the bears is as bad as what we saw in the super bowl, but it's not that far off. And like, we, we saw how limited he is if that's what you're playing behind. Sure. So go figure. Like, like that's how it works, man. Like, uh, I think Lane Kiffin said at one point, he's like, oh, you know, coaches get too much credit. Quarterbacks get too much credit. Sure. Like, we're, we're just a byproduct of what we have out around us. I mean, and it's not taking away from Tom Brady's greatness because he raised the level of everyone else out around him. Yeah. But it's a, a lot of it, it's what he, the intangibles he brings, like how he gets guys to work, how he gets guys to take care of their body and focus and, and, and not mess around. Um, because when, when they're on the field, like all those guys are helping him out. How good was that rushing attack? How good was that defense when he was in there? Well, so, it's because um, you don't want to be the guy that Tom Brady, the all-time greatest. Let down. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, like Devin White, are I, you kidding me? I, I, for whatever reason, did not know this. So like a topical piece, and this has to do with the Eagles, so I'm sure Debo will be all over this, is like Terrell Owens recently said on like Shannon Sharp's podcast, like the Shea Shea room or whatever, that he would like fight Donovan McNabb. And I guess it all came or stemmed from that he basically said Donovan McNabb was not prepared for that Super Bowl, meaning like he wasn't 
prepared, like throwing up whatever. And then this is all secondhand information. Sure. But I'm saying like, I'm thinking to myself, like, why is T.O., who's a Hall of Famer, so upset about this? I was like, oh, that was like his one shot at winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, Super Bowl and yeah. I, I don't care if it was a quarterback or anyone else. If they were out partying the night before and they weren't prepared or they weren't doing their thing, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be heartbroken about it too, especially if that was my only shot to win one. So, yeah, yeah I, I guess it makes sense why he would say he'd want, he'd want to fight Donovan, Donovan McNabb. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which, by the way, the, the Paul Brothers basic is now making it like open. It's like open season for just challenging anyone in a boxing match to have an exhibition bout. It's like, dude, no one – those guys are fighting for millions, millions upon millions. Like, other people are calling each other out, and you're like, you're not getting paid the same. Like, you're on the undercard. Yeah. You're maybe getting like 10, 20 grand. Like, is that really worth it? Is that did is you, that really worth that? Did you see the guy – they asked him, they said, who would you call out? He goes – I'll fight whoever. Like I don't. I don't care about anything. He goes. I do want to call out one company though. Instagram. You took away my account. Give it back. You lizards. <laughs> he said. You lizards. <laughs> uh, so are we get you like the entire the entire corporation of Instagram is going to try to come on, Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get you out of here on this. You, uh, you, since it's open season, you get to challenge somebody. Who are you challenging to fight? Um, it's obvious. I don't know. I'm so well, you're gonna say Pete. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's an old man. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm so past the point in my life to to want to do that. I've just got three girls. I'm just trying not to embarrass them at this point. Like I'm on I'm, I'm on enough radio and TV and they're getting old enough where they're like they're like, just don't embarrass me, Dad. I'm like, okay, I'll try not to. Uh wait, how old are yours now? Five, three, and eighteen months. So yeah. My five year old's very cognizant of like a lot of things like got to be careful about what i say how i say it when i say it you know so uh my wife ak went to um uh, school as the lunch helper on tuesday oh okay showed up and robbie was like what are you doing here he goes i thought you're gonna be the lunch helper at preschool and he she was like no no it's it's here he's like oh my god oh my god this is humiliating mom get out of here and, she, and but then she warmed up and the other kids were willing to talk to her so it's it yeah you know, it there is that's right i mean like they are yeah, these kids are cognizant of that, which is kind of crazy. They're very receptive. Like, and, and they listen to everything and they make up their own little theories. Like my daughter the other day was telling me how when our dog dies, it's going to turn to a wolf. And she said it like it was a matter of fact. And I'm Good like, gracious. this is, this is not good. This is how rumors get started. You know, like I can only imagine 10 years. My dog is not a wolf, school. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's, uh, we'll do this again next week. Brady Quinn, the best. Sounds good. Sounds DQ, good. DQ yeah. football show back. Bud Light, baby. Bud Light. You need to get that, some Bud Light. Well, well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do for you to get you some uh, some, some Should beers. we make it a weekly thing where we just we shotgun a beer to start? Like we shotgun a Bud Light to start the show? I don't think they would like the shotgun part. They're really a sip. Prefer the sipping. Oh. I mean, yeah, well, what's we'll, the point? Well, we're we only having one. We're only well, having that's tr- It's drinking responsibly if you only have one, Will. That's true. Why don't we huddle up offline and, and discuss this? Um team of streaks and horror. Uh, make sure and follow Brady on Twitter and check him out on CBS Sports HQ uh, and on the uh, the Fox pregame show on Saturday mornings. Thanks as always, man. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, 
two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.